And that's what we're going to get into uh, this morning here in just a moment. Again, we've already mentioned that John doesn't uh, particularly relate us to and describe for us the birth of Jesus, but he's very keen on introducing us to the Word made flesh. That's a phrase we're going to see in verse 14 of our text this morning, this idea of the Word made flesh and what that means and what that meant for John and what that meant for the early disciples that they could now have an encounter with the living God. That grace and truth, these amazing, beautiful, eternal ideas that were traced all the way through the Scriptures have now been encapsulated in a real, breathing, living human being. This is the theme and the message of John's Gospel. And he wants to continue to introduce us again and again to this person, the Word made flesh named Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. And John tells us explicitly as well at the end of his gospel that I've introduced you to this word made flesh and told you all about his deeds and all the things that he said so that you might believe in him. And as believing in him, as you believe in him, you might have life in him. We're going to see that word life show up in our passage as well. And life for John is a very important word. He writes about it often in this gospel. If you go through and read the gospel of John, you'll see John regularly talking about and writing about life. And the reason he does is because we see Jesus regularly talking about life. So that's going to be something that shines through in our passage as well this morning. So I'm going to read for us the opening verses of John's Gospel. It's printed for you there on page 11. If you want to follow along in the bulletin handout or maybe uh, on your device or in your Bible, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 and then verse 14. John begins his Gospel with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that is preached to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would help us to make sense of these words that are written on this page for us, that are written for our good and our benefit, because they ultimately point us to and describe and highlight the very Word Himself, the eternal Word of life who has come down for our sakes, who has taken on flesh for us, who actually gave up His life in order that we may live. I pray that You would help us to not just appreciate these words, but to actually be changed by them. In this Christmas season, I pray that You would help us to be cognizant of, aware of, thankful for the life that we have in Christ, which is a sheer gift of His great grace to us. Pray you meet with us now as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
One of the things we've been saying as well throughout the Advent season as we've gone through these different gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, is that each one has their own unique angle, their own unique take on the life and ministry of Jesus, his life and death and resurrection. And and John is no different for his part. Uh, If we think back for a moment about the individual gospels and how they begin, Mark begins immediately, immediately, in fact, is one of his favorite words, and he introduces us to uh, the fully grown man, Jesus, setting out upon his ministry. Matthew takes us back to Abraham and Jesus' genealogy. So we go all the way back to the father of the faith and the people of Israel. Luke takes us in his genealogy all the way back to Adam, who Luke also calls the son of God, the first offspring of humanity. Now John, for his part, as we just read, will go even further back. John takes us all the way back to the very beginning the very beginning of all things. And if you have read much at all about John's gospel, or maybe in these first few verses, you may have read or found some commentary or or ideas that talk about John using this word, word, capital W here, that idea in Greek, logos. And sometimes we can get caught up in kind of the, the historical and philosophical meaning of that word. And there are things that are important to know about that. We're not going to dive into that this morning. That's not why we're here to talk about Greek philosophy and the Logos. But but John is playing off of this idea, though, that the Word is God's Word. And the Logos is not just a philosophical idea, but He is a person. It's not just a concept that we need to get our mind around. It's a person that took on real flesh that we can know and that we are known by, that we can live and interact with and do life with. This is one of John's great concerns in introducing us to the Word. So here's what I hope we'll see as we look at these first few verses of John's Gospel. It's that uh, in the opening prologue of his Gospel, these verses that we're looking at here this morning, John is concerned to show us both what God is like and what he cares about. He wants to show us what God is like and what God cares about, and he does this by introducing us to the Word. So, what does John want us to know about the Word? That's really kind of our main question. What does John want us to leave here this morning with? What do we need to know about the Word? And there's really two main ideas that I want to submit to you. The first is John wants us to know that the Word was God. The Word was God carry that into contemporary present tense as well. The Word is God. The Word is divine. But then secondly, John also wants us to know that the Word became us. The Word was God, but the Word also became us. So let's look first at this idea that the Word was God. Look at verses 1 through 3. It's important to make note of how John begins his gospel here. If I were to play a little quiz game with you and, and give you a couple opening lines of famous works of Western literature, maybe you could answer uh, who wrote it and what the story was. If I were to say it was the best of times and it was the worst of times, if you know who that was, right, Dickens? Or if I were to say, call me Ishmael, maybe you know that's uh, Melville from Moby Dick. If you hear these three words, in the beginning, can you place them? Can you place them in their original context? John here, as he opens his gospel, is very intentionally connecting us to the very opening words of the Bible itself, of the Holy Scriptures, of Genesis 1-1, which begin with those exact same words, in the beginning, God. 
And John is doing this, as we said, very intentionally and on purpose. And what is it that he's trying to communicate? Well, he wants us to know that what he is saying about the Word connects us to God Himself. He wants us to understand that the Word actually is God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. He's very intentionally giving us this connection. He wants us to know that God, the Word, is the eternal Creator and Giver of life. God, the Word, is the eternal Creator and Giver of life. Let's look at that statement right there just in a few of its parts. God, the Word, is eternal. John tells us that the Word has been with God from the beginning. God was in the beginning uncreated, unbound, and so was the Word. But not only was the Word with God, John wants to erase all uncertainty and all doubts by telling us that the Word was God. There's no two ways around it. The Word was God. There was never a time when God was not. There was never a time when the Word was not. So the Word is God. And yet John also wants to have us understand that the Word is still in a mysterious way distinct in its own way. So God the Word is eternal. God the Word is the Creator. Again, think back to the opening chapters of Genesis and what we see happening there. And we are clearly told throughout Genesis in the first few chapters that God created all things. He brought them into existence from nothing. He is the maker and former of all that is seen and unseen. And here in John's Gospel, he further unfolds that truth by telling us that the Word as well had an active leading role in creation. All things were made through Him, and there was nothing without Him. There was nothing made that was made by Him. He is the maker of all things. Paul the Apostle goes a little bit further and is even a little bit more explicit than John is. Here in Colossians 1.16, he tells us that by Him, that is Jesus, the Word, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 1-2, In these last days God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. God the Word is the Creator. But John also wants us to know this, that God the Word is the giver of life. He's a giver of life. In Genesis 2-7, we see God actually breathing into His creation, giving life to Adam and Eve, breathing life into their bodies so that they may become living, real beings. God is the giver of life. The Word is the giver of life because He's the sole possessor of true life. And John wants us to see this as well. The Word is life. He is the Word of life. He is the living Word. God speaks and things come into existence. Life springs forth where His Word goes out. If you think about a scenario of a desert setting and heavy rains coming in the season where they are due and channels and water courses racing through this dry and arid land and flowing out of that right behind it springs forth life, wildflowers, and crops are watered and irrigated. And everywhere that water goes, life follows after it. 
John, throughout the Gospel of John, wants us to see that Jesus is this source of living water, living, moving, flowing life itself. He gives us many examples in the Gospels wherever Jesus moved as living water, life flowed out from Him. Think about the wedding at Cana. The woman at the well in John chapter 4 that He meets with and offers living water to. Think about the resurrection of Lazarus. Even at His death at the cross, John wants us to see that living water comes out of Jesus when His side is pierced. Blood and water both flow from Him. Wherever Jesus moves, life abounds. He is the living Word. So, what does John want us then to really appreciate and get into our hearts about the Word? Well, as we said, He is the eternal Creator and the giver of life. As the Creator, that means that God has made us. I think it's worth pausing for just a minute to reflect on that. That you and I here this morning if you're watching online or wherever you find yourself, you are a created being. That means that we are needy, that we're dependent, that we are helpless on our own. We have been made by an eternal God who needs nothing and depends on no one for His existence. It's been said before that all the ailments and the evils of the world can be summed up in this failure on our part to understand this simple idea. God is God, and we are not. We are created. He is the Creator. The Word is the one who has made us. But in light of that, we also need to understand, though, that God hasn't just made us and cast us off into some kind of existence on our own. He has made us for Himself, for relationship with Him. St. Augustine famously said, right? God has made us for Himself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Him. The living Word has made us for Himself. He is the Creator, and we need to take a moment to recognize that, that we are small, finite, created beings dependent upon Him for life, for everything. We also need to see this. Because He has made us for Himself, He loves us. And He loves to give us good things. Most importantly, life in abundance. Later on in John's Gospel, in John 10.10, Jesus will say, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Again, this idea of life, a major theme in John's Gospel. The life of the Word is the light of men, we are told. In other words, it's how we see reality. It's how we consider the things that are true, that are good, that are lovely, that are beautiful. It's how we make sense of our world. The life of Christ is the light of men. And these things are from God Himself. Listen, we live in a world today, in an age, if I can use this language, that is dying to live. (laughs) Dying to find real life. I have conversations regularly with people who are longing and desperate to find what they call, to use this popular term, their authentic self. What they mean by that is simply real life. What does it mean to have real life? John is telling us very clearly the only place we find real life is in the Word. The living Word. Christ Himself made flesh for us. There are many other places we may try to find it. That our world may try to find it. There's nowhere else that it exists. 
In our family, we love a number of different Christmas movies. We try to make a tradition of watching as many as we can in the Christmas season. One of our favorites is Elf. I'm guessing that's probably true for a number of you here as well, uh, with Will Ferrell as Buddy the Elf. And I particularly love the scene where he has come to the harsh realization that he, in fact, is not an elf. That's not a spoiler, by the way. Uh, He's a human who's been raised by elves, and he's getting ready to go to New York City to find his real biological father. And Santa is giving Buddy the Elf some tips, right? He says, hey, don't eat the gum on the sidewalk because it's not free candy, so don't do that. And he also says, hey, also know this. There are about 30 raised pizzas. They all say they're the original, but the real one is on 11th. There's so many different statements and ideas and philosophies that all claim to be the way of real life. But the real one is here. It's in Christ, the living word. Well, John goes on. He wants us to know, as we've been describing here, that the Word was God. The Word is divine. The Word is God. But He wants us to know more than that as well. He wants us to understand that the Word has become us. The Word has taken on flesh to dwell among us. I've only seen a handful of these episodes of this TV show, but Undercover Boss, maybe you've seen that, uh, where... Uh, A high-powered executive, a CEO, an owner of a corporation goes undercover to go spend some time working with uh, kind of the grunt, quote-unquote, employees of the company, those who are getting their hands dirty, doing the dirty work of whatever that job is. Maybe it's at a restaurant or at a factory or something of that sort. And they kind of are, are undercover in that people don't recognize who that person is. The incarnation, in many ways, is, is something very similar. Right? The God of the universe has taken on human flesh so that he might dwell with us. And we didn't include these verses, but in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1, John essentially says, Jesus came undercover and no one accepted him and no one knew him. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 even says, Jesus didn't have any form that we should recognize or accept or see him as lovely to behold. In fact, he was totally missed by those that he came to to share his life with. But John wants us to know that in the incarnation, the Word has become flesh and God has become man. There's so much we could say about this. I mean, this is one of the deepest, richest theological ideas ever unpacked, ever attempted to be unpacked, not fully unpacked, not even have the surface scratched of it in 2,000 years. So we're not going to do that here this morning. But there are some important things I think we need to take away from this. Uh, First, we need to notice the language that John uses here in verse 14 when he says, the word became flesh. He's very careful about using this language. You notice that he doesn't say the word came to life, a la Frosty the Snowman or something like that. The word was already alive. The word is life. The word has always been life. But what the word does is the word takes on flesh. The living eternal word, which is God, becomes something that he had not been before. A human. A man. He was always alive, always living, but now he has become flesh. A human being housed in a temporary body. A body that wouldn't make it longer than much more beyond 33 years on this earth. Many of us in this room are older than that. 
The God who created time and space is now bound by time and space. The God who never sleeps had to give Himself over to sleep. The God who never longed for anything went hungry. He marked time when before He stood above it. He experienced fatigue and loss, grief, heartache. All the things that you know in this room. When the Word became flesh, He entered into those things with us and for us. Second John also wants us to see this though, that the Word became flesh and He dwelled among us. And the word that John uses there is very particular as well. It's essentially the verb form of tabernacle. The Word became flesh and He tabernacled among us. He pitched His tent among us. Some uh, versions of the Gospel have there. There's so much to unpack here as well. And again, time won't permit it. But just go back and think for a minute and do a little homework and read up on the, the meaning and significance of the tabernacle in the life of ancient Israel, in the book of Exodus and all throughout the Old Testament, and what the tabernacle meant and represented, <clears throat> that it was God's holy dwelling right in the middle of his people. It was where God would meet with his people. It was where all of life for Israel and all of their worship centered around. Everything was built around the tabernacle. When they set out in the wilderness to move, the tabernacle was the first thing to go up and be erected. And all of the people centered themselves in a huge circle around the tabernacle. And so when John says the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, he has all of this and more in mind. That Jesus would now become the center of the universe for his people. Even as he walked among them the same dirt, the same land that they now lived and walked on. So much happening here about this Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. There's some things I want to think that John wants us to understand too. About what we need to hear this Advent season about this Word that has become flesh and dwelled among us. Three things I want to leave you with. What this tells us is that we have a God who relates to us in all of our lives, in every angle. All of our weaknesses, all of our infirmities. I've already mentioned in our service that 2020 has been a difficult year. If we went around this room, many of us here could share stories of frustration, of sadness, of loss, of grief. Stories of victory, to be sure, as well. But this has been a difficult year. We have a God who is with us in the midst of all that we are going through. Secondly, we have a God who desires to live among us and with us. When Jesus came down and took on flesh, He didn't remain on a mountaintop. He didn't remain in the Holy of Holies in a temple hidden away somewhere. He didn't remain behind a curtain or a veil that no one could see or have access to. People touched Him. He touched others. People ate with Him. He washed the feet of His friends and disciples. There's a physicality and a tangibleness to what He is doing. This is the kind of God that we serve, that we worship. Every other religion out there offers you a way to make your way up to the divine. But this is a God who has come down to make His way to you. Lastly, we have a God who brings the very best gifts to us. To those of us who are the very worst. 
See, the Word comes, John tells us, with grace and truth. Not only does He come bearing and displaying grace and truth, we're told He is full of these things in abundance. Listen, Santa Claus is going to come and bring good gifts for the very best little boys and girls, we're told. But Jesus comes and He brings the very best for the worst of us. Because that's the Gospel. That in our worst days, in our worst moments, in our lowest times, God became a man and took on flesh and dwelled among us and He brought with Him life and grace and truth. The very things that we need most in our world. Grace. That no sin is held against us. That Jesus has offered up His life for us. Truth. A rare commodity in many ways in the world we live in today. That these things are true. We can hold on to them. We can cling to them. We can build our lives upon them. Here's the thing. They meet in a person. Jesus Christ. Christmas is the season of giving, and I want us to think most particularly as we settle into this week, as we think about Christmas Eve coming and Christmas Day arriving, that you have a God who is a giver, who gives and gives and gives. He gives of Himself. He gives of His greater gifts. He gave His only Son so that we might have life. That is the greatest gift of all. The Word became flesh so that we might have life in Him and experience the fullness of life that He brings with Him. Amen. Let's pray together.